So when people ask us like, oh, how come Korea is so racist against mixed Koreans? How come you can't fit in blah, 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 blah? If you look at the history, it kind of makes sense. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Happy Project podcast. My name is Becky. Sitting across from me at the table is Cedric Sky City. And if this is your first time tuning in, we talk about the mixed race experience. And as both of us are half Korean and we're currently living here in Seoul, South Korea, we focus primarily on the mixed Korean race experience. And uh, today, we are doing a topic that is perfectly in line with uh, who we are. If you were tuning in for the last two episodes, you will know that we have done a brief overview of the terms hapa and hafu, and today we're bringing it back to the motherland. We are discussing the term honyeol. Yeah. yeah, today I'm very excited. I learned a lot really just researching for this. Yeah, so. I'm really excited too. Actually, I feel kind of sad that we can't get into it mm-hmm. even deeper than we want to. It's just that there's so much to undis- undiscover, <laughs> discover, <laughs> unveil, and to, you know, dig into. Uh, so though this episode is going to be sorely lacking in all of the things we could be discussing concerning the term hunyar, it will be a good overview i think kind of like dipping your toes into the water and then as the episodes continue on we're gonna dive in deeper yeah and swim through the ocean it's pretty much a primer this mixed korean experience that's what we're doing and also guys if you're wondering why i'm like all right let's get the show on the road it's because i'm djing tonight on a boat party so i'm pretty excited for that i'll be there you're gonna be there well as uh we mentioned we're talking about Honyeol today. And do you want to share a little bit, I guess, of the actual word meaning? Honyeol. What does that mean? Well, it means mixed blood, yeah. essentially. And so yeah. it's it's really rooted in the, the whole concept or idea or theory about racial or ethnic mixing. Like, for example, um, if you have two different ethnic groups, mm-hmm. like one mom is from, you know, I don't know, Asia, mm-hmm. another mom. Or another mom. <laughs> Wait, mean, before I, we talk about that, maybe we need to explain how babies are made. <laughs> right, right. Um, you know, so one parent is from like uh-huh. Asia, right? Yeah. And the other parent's from, you know, Europe or something yeah. like that. You know, technically the the idea behind mixed blood is you have a mixing of those bloods. Yes. And so it's, you know, it's something that is still in the, I guess... It's in the bloodline mm, of mm-mm. the Korean thought and mm. philosophy. Oh, the bloodline today. of the Korean yeah, thought. Yeah, I tried to, I tried to, you, you saw what you, I did there? Yeah, you put those together. Yeah, it didn't come out smoothly, but you know what I mean. I get what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. You're right. Honyeol in itself, the word itself is Korean word, hancha, which is kind of like the, the Chinese character basis. Mm. Hun, which used for like um, mixed, we have the word when we have any words that mean like mixed or or crossover or something or complicated and then we have which is literally like blood so put together in itself is kind of a neutral term that means mixed blood mm-hmm. that's what it is and you're right it is sort of i guess stemming from this this bloodline purity mindset that has existed in korea for a very long time right and before we actually talk about honyeol the people honyeol mixed blood people i think we got to talk about this this pure bloodline mindset yeah 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 i think so Mm. and it it goes back 
hundreds of years. Goes way, way, right? way, way back. Yeah. So I yeah. think you're going to enlighten us. Okay. Today do you want to do bit. our um, our go backing in time sound effect? <laughs> there you go, guys. Okay. We're gonna go way back in time to two three 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 BC. Oh. Wow. Here we are in ancient Korea. Wow. So it looks quite empty. It's <laughs> there is nothing here. It's my acting skills. <laughs> yeah. Well, welcome here to ancient Korea. And we're going to be heading back to even before when the first Korean kingdom or dynasty was created. There was a man named Tangun Wangam. Tangun Wangam is the legendary founder, the legendary first man of the Korean bloodline. And he was the founder and god king of Gojoseon. Gojoseon was the first Korean dynasty, which uh, was established in 233 BC or 2333 BC. 2333 BC? There's got to be a nice long time ago. A long time ago. Don't get this mixed up with Joseon Dynasty. That's mm. why it's Gojoseon, which is old Joseon Dynasty. So the story goes, and it's somewhat of a myth, I think. Uh, Hwanin was Lord of Heaven, and he had a son named Hwanu who wanted to live among the mountains and the valleys. He didn't want to live in heaven anymore. Who wants to go there nowadays? <laughs> and so Hwanung decided he came to Earth. And he was living kind of at Pektusan, so mountain Pektu, where he founded the city of God. And there he made laws, he made moral codes, he taught the humans uh, art and medicine, agriculture of the heavens, right? And they even say acupuncture, the, the art and science of acupuncture, goes all the way back to this time. Mm -hmm. So at that time, there was a tiger and a bear that lived around the mountain and they prayed to Hwanung. They said, please let us be a human, I want to be a human. So he gave them both garlic and mugwort, suk, you know, suk. Mm -hmm. And uh, he said, you cannot go into the sun and you must only eat this garlic and mugwort for 100 days. The tiger got tired eventually of it, but the bear persevered and she became a woman. So she was transformed Ooh. into a woman by Hwanung. Well, her name was Ungnyo and uh, she had no husband. She had no son because, well, she was bear before <laughs> so mm -hmm. now she's a woman so she would pray fervently to Hwanung to um, have a, a son and so he was so moved by her prayers that he married her and they had a son who became Tangun Wangam Tangun Wangam who then went on to found Gojoseon so isn't it ironic that the very first Korean ever was mixed a halfy. half bear woman and half heavenly god yeah, that's a weird mix, but yeah, it is ironic. It is ironic. And so this is mm. kind of like, if you go way back, where does the great bloodline of Korea start? It starts here with Tangun Wangam. And uh, this is a very interesting point that South Korea is kind of like yeah, a legendary mix or myth. In North Korea, they will say he's a real person, that this was really how mm. we, our people came from. Really, and, um, and so actually they have a site in North Korea that the, some North Korean archaeologists will say this is his real grave. Mm -hmm. So it's very controversial. Um, but as you can see, North Korea and South Korea still like way back, even legendary myth, myth form, believe that they're from the same person. Right. Mm. I mean, obviously, the Koreas weren't divided until recently. So, yeah, yeah obviously, they would share the same myth, sure. you know, for centuries and centuries. Right, but right. I'm sure there was a divergence, obviously, mm -hmm. after the Korea split yeah. in terms of how that myth or how that story is perceived. Right. Yeah. I, I'm going to go around and ask some of my friends, like, hey, do you know Tangun? What do you think of him? Is he your great, 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 
great 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 grandfather is mm-hmm. what they say because it's kind of like legend you know you know i yeah i as you were reading that, I am reminded of, because I didn't grow up like hearing these Korean folk mm. tales. At least I don't remember. I remember this one. My mom had books and we yeah. this one. I mean, I remember hearing about this maybe two years ago. I feel like I was in Korea and I heard this story because mm-hmm. as soon as you said manu or garlic, that's mm-hmm. when I remember. I was like, oh, I heard this before. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I don't remember details, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah uh-huh. So it is something that is still told today. Yes. And this kind of, um, I guess, lays like maybe a very long time ago, foundation of this Korean ethnic nationalism, which is um, a political ideology mm-hmm. uh, that we share a unified bloodline and unified culture. Right. And um, it's, well, have you heard the word minjok? Minjok. Right. Um, minjok. You've probably heard minjok a lot. Okay. Honestly. Minjok just basically means like, um, it's like, one people like minjok like mm-hmm. the people group are our people minjok and it was a word that was coined um actually in imperial japan you know when you're talking about hafu mm-hmm. and they were saying they were the min i think minjoku is like the term they were using mm-hmm. um, minjok like the one people it's based basically on social darwinism honestly uh where it's like um you know doggy dog world i guess you know the survival of the fittest. survival of the fittest so mm. minjok we're the best mm-hmm. people the best bloodline so we're a unified bloodline a unified culture and this kind of came out uh in when japan imperialist japan was trying to colonize and assimilate Koreans into Japan mm-hmm. in Japanese right, culture. Right, 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 right. Right? And it was a way to justify um, their trying to make them stop speaking Korean, trying to give them Japanese names. Like my grandmother lived through that time, you know, mm-hmm. your grandmother yep, lived through that yep. time. And um, saying, we're all from the same stock. Hey, we are all same one people. Japan was saying that. And there was an author who wrote a book. And uh, let me pull this up. His name was Shin Cheho, I think his name was Shin Cheho. Yeah, so in this time when Japan was trying to colonize Korea and this imperialistic Japanese imperialism, Shin Cheho was a, an essayist and an author, and he wrote a book that was Joseon Sangosa, which basically meant like like the history of Joseon kind of thing. Right, and that was what, like early 1900s, right? Yeah, yeah early yeah. Na- like 1920-something, I think, came mm-hmm. out, maybe 1926. Uh, and he wrote this history where there were a people group called the Minjok who fought very bravely mm. to maintain their Korean identity, preserve their preserve their Korean identity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And said that like, oh, over time it kind of declined, but now we must bring it back. And so it popularized this idea of Minjok, Korean ethnic identity. On one hand, we look at it now and say, thanks to this ideal of Minjok, the Korean people were able to fight back against imperialistic Japan and maintain this Korean culture and identity. That's a huge thing. And certainly we greatly reap benefits of that today and can say, yeah, we have Korean culture, Korean food, you know, Korean names, Korean language has survived. Um, But now, of course, we can see there are some echoing repercussions of this. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I was I was thinking the same thing because had uh, the nation of Korea, while it was in the occupation of Japan, mm. had they succumbed to, I guess, the ideology that Japan was trying to enforce on them, mm. we, the same we, w- line. we wouldn't well, even be here, you and I. We wouldn't, we'd be speaking Japanese, probably. Right. Oh, we wouldn't even look like us. I mean, I, technically, we wouldn't be born. We wouldn't even be us. <laughs> right. But yeah. yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. Yeah. So... Mm-hmm. I mean, that is a great thing. I think, um, you know, in certain times, especially times of struggle, 
times of uh, you know captivity, I guess when when a nation or a people group feels captive, mm. they need something. They need a hope or they need some sort of like a confidence booster. That's the most simplistic way I could mm. like put it. Uh, you know, there's a much stronger term for it, I'm sure, but they need something that gives them that identity and gives them that strength to resist what they need to resist and to yeah. fight back. And but that's I think, like in Kri- Uri. Mm-hmm. It's the sense of Uri. Right. 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 Us, Uri. It's a collective like power. It's yeah. it's almost a similar concept as like in sports and teams Mm -hmm. you know what i mean because as a team you have that collective mindset and you're much better able to defeat your opponent or be on the same wavelength and Mm. play together that's right yeah so i think that is something that came into play yeah uh it was obviously a much bigger situation than a basketball game sure you know but yeah uh, yeah. so i think that's a good thing that came out of Mm -hmm. minjok that's right minjok so this mindset of minjok Mm. Now, this has some very familiar strands to some other things we might know, like ultranationalism or Nazism. Japan and Germany after World War II, well, we know with World War II, there was the rise of ultranationalism and Nazism. And uh, after World War II, when those countries were defeated, of course, it you know, went away. There was a very negative um, mindset or perception towards Nazism, of course, eugenics mm-hmm. and uh, this ultranationalistic thing. But South Korea and North Korea kind of kept that up, you know, kept up the sense of minjok. After the Korean War, there was President Seungman, Lee Seungman Lee, right? Mm-hmm. Lee Seungman. Yeah. Um, depending on who you ask, some people think Lee Seungman was an incredible leader. He was obviously very educated. He was uh, he traveled to Western countries um, and he did great things for the nation of Korea after World War Two or no, after the Korean War, when they were establishing a democracy here in South Korea. But at the same time, he really pushed this ideology of like Tanir Minjok, one people, one common bloodline, racial purity. Mm-hmm. And this was at significant odds with what happened simultaneously during the Korean War and post the Korean War. And that was the rise of mixed Korean children because right. of American soldiers and Korean women who are working around the base. Right. So you can see politically this mindset of minjok, tanir minjok, racial purity, but what was really happening in the society. So one one group or the other was going to have to lose out here. And we know that it was the honyorin, mm-hmm. the mixed kids that definitely lost out after the Korean War. Right. So, I mean, you, you got to think about it. Like from a, you know, I try to have empathy when I think about people groups. And even if I totally disagree with their perspectives mm-hmm. or paradigms, I try to see how they see it and and try to understand why they see it. I mean, you right. got to think about Korea uh, for centuries. Korea is known for being just such a peaceful country, mm-hmm. never actually on record. Going out, going out and invading. Right. Invading or yeah. fighting. You know, defending is one thing, but... Uh, very peaceful country, a country always to themselves. It's also known as the hermit country, mm-hmm. right? And you have just, you know, you have a nation that is just minding their own business. And then you have, you're constantly being attacked. And I'm talking about over a span of centuries. Sure, constantly still, being attacked yeah. or invaded because think right. about where Korea is. Right, right. You know, it's the peninsula between Japan and mainland China. Mm-hmm. And so Korea was just always like that, that bullied middle Mm. child (laughs) yeah i can relate (laughs) right (laughs) right so uh you know with this sort of history Mm. and uh this sort of trauma Mm. you can sort of understand after post-war right you can understand post-war 
where this ideology really began to just shine. Mm. And one thing that I will say is even though uh, this sort of mindset of the perfect race, not the perfect race, but like pure blood mm -hmm, and, you know, mm -hmm. we are a people of our own. We're In a sense, yeah, it is like I, we're better than other people, mm -hmm. whether it's admitted or not. The one thing that I'll say is typically it's always like peaceful. It's mm -hmm. manifested peacefully. It's not in a sense of trying to uh, push somebody down, but kind of to protect. Yeah. Right? Like, oh, we have to keep ourselves well. Right. Us, so it's healthy. Yeah. It's like yeah. a defense mechanism. Right. And it's, it, it makes sense. Totally. Honestly, like with imperialistic Japan at the time. Yeah. They were saying, hey, we're the same race. We're the same stock. Like this is what mm -hmm. they were saying in order to make assimilation OK. But still there was the, because of this mindset of but we're still better than you. Yeah. You know, and so naturally Korea fought back, pushed mm -hmm. back against that. And so, yeah, I understand what you're saying. You can definitely sympathize with that. And there is, and we see it today manifested in how Korea is preventing coronavirus spread, mm, right? right? This this centralized Uri <laughs> yeah. protection kind of mechanism. That is one true. Mindset, that is one true. Culture. I mean, I kid you not, like, I mean, you and I, we've seen, we've walked by uh, restaurants, specifically one mm -hmm. that I'm thinking of in Yeonnamdong, and I mm -hmm, can't mm -hmm, name it because mm -hmm. I probably get sued and deported because of defamation laws here. <laughs> okay. But there is this uh -huh. one restaurant, pretty yeah. sizable restaurant, and uh, they literally had a, uh, mm -hmm. a sign saying, no foreigners, no foreigners allowed. allowed. And I'll, you know, I've seen a lot of these signs pop up online and people are like foreigners in our like foreigner group or yeah. showing like different pictures of like places that are saying no foreigners. Mm -hmm. But this one went out of their way to post a big banner. <laughs> they printed a banner. They you, had a you know banner how designed those are? and made. Yeah. Right. Yeah. In English and in Chinese and in Korean. Right. And as much as because I remember first seeing that and that really you know, angered me, of sure. course. Yeah. Immediate your gut response. Mm -hmm. Uh-huh. But, you know, when I think about it, to your point, it feels like they're protecting mm -hmm. themselves more so than just discriminating just to discriminate. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I'm not justifying it mm -hmm. because I know a lot of them are, let's let's be real, they're racist, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, but, yeah, I think it stems from wanting to protect themselves more Uri. so than harm. Uri nara, right. Uri minjok, Uri us, our, our country, people. our people, mm. right? It's a very strong mindset that's here. Let's hop back to the 1950s. That's like 1953 after Korean War was ending or the armistice was formed. Now we had something called the Hunyor Munje. It was an actual term coined to describe the problem of mixed race kids. Mm. Hunyor Munje. It was such a significant issue and at huge odds with what the government was trying to promote. This racial purity. We are, you know, one people. Then you have mixed race kids happening. Um, that was due specifically because of these American soldiers and the bases. They were called GI babies. Mm -hmm. And there's a big generation of them that grew up as orphans or were sent abroad to be adopted. This was a time when there was a huge wave of international adoptions happening out of Korea specifically to the U.S. And so that question was raised now in retrospect. Is it better to have had these children who are mixed race Koreans to suffer in Korea, at least in their own nation, at least with one parent who is still there? Or is it better for them to be sent overseas where they also don't quite fit and they'll be known as orphan children that mm. were adopted, being raised by someone who is not their real parents, right? So this was a question that I think um, people in retrospect were asking, but at the time, 
Izungman, President Izungman, was referring to these Hunyor kids as garbage mm-hmm. that needed to be taken care of, even if thrown into the ocean, were his words. Man. And so they systematically, the government was trying to push out um, Hunyor, mixed children, mm-hmm. to be out of the country because it didn't fall ideologically with what they were trying to do politically as a new democracy. And also it represented this... Um, this, the racial disparities and this problem, their kind of failure to take care of their people. Honestly, it's like there, there's a lot of things that were factors right. to the negativity towards mixed children at that time. And you can see that the repercussions of that still last today. You know that in 1975, I think, they actually instituted a law that mixed Korean men who were born and raised in Korea were exempted from the military Mm -hmm. as a kind of way to encourage them to not live in Korea and Mm -hmm. to find work overseas. If they couldn't get adopted when they were younger, instead of giving an opportunity for mixed race men to be part of the society here, as we talked about in a previous episode, the military is extremely important for Korean men. Instead of allowing that to be part of the culture and become one of us in Korea, they would say like, you don't have to go to Korean military. There's a law that exempts you. You know what? We're going to give you special training so that you can find work overseas. Isn't mm-hmm. that better for you? But as you can still see, it's a backhanded way to get rid of mixed men, mixed Korean men right. at that time. So this carried on for a long time. So when people ask us like, oh, how come Korea is so racist against mixed Koreans? How come you can't fit in? Blah, 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 blah. If you look at the history, it kind of makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm you know, as a mixed race person Mm. living in Korea and really seeing firsthand the subtle racism on a day-to-day basis almost, Mm -hmm. like, yeah, it makes me upset, but at the same time, I understand. And I think think understanding is more important than just getting mad Mm. and reacting because once once you understand, that's where you can really know how to position yourself with the dialogue and really know how to position your logic because Mm -hmm. this thinking isn't really based in logic Mm -hmm. you know what i mean it doesn't really make sense like this pure blood theory isn't based in logic Mm -hmm. or science Mm -hmm. it's more so based on just an ideology that has been instilled Mm -hmm. you know in the culture Mm -hmm. and even to this day is still there Mm -hmm. and i think it's slowly and slowly breaking away from it but i think it's still far it's a a generation at least or two removed from mm. actually you know not having this idea ideology mm-hmm. in society right yeah but it's because of this understanding that i think we can actually level with people mm-hmm. and have a conversation that's not like oh my gosh why are you so racist that's you know right. you need to change that's right they're like you know because they think they're right they feel like they're right yeah and nobody has ever won an argument by saying you're wrong boom right you know you have to sympathize with that person and try to understand the point Mm -hmm. of view and that's what we're trying to do here on this podcast it's so easy to look at wrongs that are happening to hunyorin all around us and say oh korea how could you korea korea something something and find somebody to blame but I mean, this is not solving anything. And in reality, you just need understanding and some compassion and empathy. And then just be able to sit down and talk about it. Because in reality, Honyo is still a rather touchy subject here in Korea, mm-hmm. even to today. If you think about it, a lot of these changes that are happening for multicultural families, multinational families here, 
these laws that are being changed are very recent. It was only until the 2000s when people started paying attention to the needs of multinational families. In the 1990s, there was a big influx of immigrant workers, um, you know, migrant workers, immigrant women coming to marry Korean men, and we still see that coming and continuing on to today. But there were no uh, laws in place to protect these families. Um, people were not really paying attention to uh, mm. racial tensions or attacks. Right. And so it's quite recent when people started paying attention to multicultural families. Mm -hmm. Prior to that, it was kind of like, you know, a case by case situation. Right. You know, it was only in 2010 when the Korean army got rid of the oath where Korean soldiers would swear allegiance to the Korean race. Mm -hmm. Right. Is that crazy to me? Like, it's not even to the Korean nation. Not right. like, I pledge allegiance, like, to protect the nation. It's to the Korean race. Right. And it was in 2010 when that oath was no longer instituted. Yeah, I read about that. Yeah. yeah. I found that very interesting. But, I mean, it's great. At least that's a step forward. Mm. You know, as late as it may seem, mm -hmm. it's a step forward. That's right. You know, there is actually a professor at Yonsei. I don't know if he's still there, but uh, there's a quote that I found. Wait, who's, who's the professor? His name you? is Kim, uh, Kim Hyunmi, Kim Hyunmi. He's quoted as saying this, and I thought this was really interesting. Mm -hmm. He says, one of the most serious side effects of the country's rapid economic development is that its people started to hierarchize foreign nations according to their economic status. Collectively, they would perceive specific nations, mostly developed countries, such as the US and the UK, as their superiors whom they should learn from. Mm -hmm. Just think about how Korea is obsessed with the English language education. Uh, so while perceiving economically developing countries as their inferiors with no specific grounds. Mm -hmm. I thought this was interesting because it shows you economically sort of why Korea is has the this sort of mindset that as a nation they they feel better or they feel stronger than other nations mm -hmm. because if you think about it Korea in a span of 50 less than 50 years yeah. I want to say 30 years has gone from post-war super one of the poorest countries in the world mm -hmm. to one of the richest yeah. in a matter of just a couple of decades you know, not even up until today, I'm talking like two decades ago. And this sort of, I guess, you know, all hands on deck sort of approach, like builds and instills pride because mm -hmm. they did it on their own. That's right. You know, they, of course they were- Literally um, on their own, like yeah. pulling out gold teeth and selling that to the government to yeah. buy the country out of debt. Yeah, in, in the 90s, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's something that we could like get into at, at another mm -hmm. time, but you know, it, so, you think about this, Korea, one of the poorest nations, and, and of course, a lot with the help of the U.S. military in the early days, uh, you know, in the war time era, built up this country and, uh, you know, as a, I guess, inferior country at that point, mm -hmm. looking to other countries like the U.S. that are, you know, one of the leaders in the world, you can see why after Korea has achieved their certain status that they would have this sort of like prideful mindset. Sure. You yeah. know, like yeah. we did this, we built this together yeah. as a country right. and we didn't really have too much help from the mm -hmm. outside, you know, and you can see economically where this mindset is sort of reinforced. Mm -hmm. And it's true. I got to give props to Korea because I've read somewhere that Korea accomplished in 
30 years what uh, a developed nation like the U.S. has accomplished in 100. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, that's insane. It's really remarkable. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so even it's not just racial uh, aspects of society that reinforces this mindset. It's also the economics of it. Well, jumping on top of that. So you're saying they would prize nations like U.K. or U.S., mm -hmm. right? This is reflected on how uh, the society also views certain ethnic groups yeah this is why eurasians are so exotic and special and lucky mm -hmm. when filipino koreans copinos are looked down upon right. right because korea as a nation is doing better than the philippines exactly right exactly and i'm glad you said that because i have another quote from oh, okay. professor hyunmi kim okay and he says korean racism also contains internalized white supremacy mm -hmm. After the Korean War, Korea became a country with the U.S. military presence. At the same time, it was exposed to American popular culture, right. and that included Hollywood films, and it was influenced by there, the U.S.'s representation of visible minorities. Mm -hmm. And so you could see where this whole white supremacy sort of mindset, uh, and when I say white, white supremacy, I mean Korea uh, really overall uh, uh, what, do, what do you call it? Like lifts up the white man, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. Looks up to the white man, mm -hmm. um, but then looks down on the minorities, yeah. you know, especially other Asians, yeah, you yeah. know, but um, even like black minorities, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. whether from America or from Africa. Mm -hmm. So you can see how even during the time of the military being here, the U.S. military, how this negative, these negative stereotypes and like discriminatory attitudes and racist thoughts mm -hmm. and attitudes where it stemmed from, mm -hmm. you know? So it's, I mean, it's so layered. There's so much to it. It's incredibly layered. Mm -hmm. And of course, the reason why we feel more in, in like, um, I guess, emotional about this topic is because it directly relates to us. Mm, and yeah. um, there's a whole lot to break down on this. And especially, you know, talking about the influences the American military had on Korea and Korean culture and still repercussions to today. We will get into that on some other YouTube videos. If you keep watching this channel, we are working with an organization that's specifically talking about those influences. So stay tuned for those. Um, but yeah, we can see that in particular to how now mixed race people are viewed in Korea like we just touched on ahead if you have one parent who's Korean and one parent who's a migrant worker from say Southeast Asia mm -hmm. the way that those children are viewed is significantly different than say if your mom is from Australia and your dad is Korean the child has white skin you know and speaks English and all of this you can see how um, this disparity yeah. surely exists to today right yeah. and i i don't even know if many koreans realize that i think it's subconscious mm. to to many some some do sure yeah after a while i feel like i mean it gets internalized mm -hmm. it really does you can see there's no education on this point mm -hmm. and uh, like we have in the u.s people are saying like you should educate people on uh black history you know african-american history you should so that we can prevent this continuing cycle of racism but we don't see this happening in korea when there's certainly also racist tendencies among society and the political thinking and um so it's no wonder that it carries on but it's not necessarily in the forefront of people's minds maybe it's not so conscious right yeah um gosh i don't even know where to go from that point because there's mm -hmm. just so much to unravel here right i think this episode is more like to touch 
to touch back onto this topic of Hunyar and mixed race in Korea. And uh, the podcast will continue to talk and dissect more specific points or people or events that are all connected to this um, this topic of Hunyar mm-hmm. that we have discussed today, which I guess makes it, I mean, very significant. This is the Happy Project after all. Right. And um, yeah, so this is more what we will discuss. I had so many notes about, you know, the, the Christian missionaries who started paying attention to mixed Koreans, the first orphanage that was established here, the first school that mixed children were allowed to go to, the Amerasian Act in the 1980s that were giving children citizenship rights in the U.S. There's so much to um, discuss about this topic but we are going to have to save it for some other episodes and we hope that you guys will uh, show some interest in this and ask us to specifically hey i would like to know whatever happened to these kids or did you ever discover about the holt family and their orphanage or you know if you have specific questions as well we hope that you'll send them to us now i don't want to mean like okay let's wrap up but is there something else that you wanted to add um no because i feel like it'll open up a whole nother i know it's so much stuff yeah yeah yeah. but um one one thought and i'd Mm -hmm. like to see what you think but you know going back to what you said earlier about the term Mm and mixed blood Mm -hmm. as it's translated uh you know it has to many a negative connotation for others it's more of a like just an objective like a description yeah Mm um you know i started like my mindset after sort of researching and thinking about this my mindset started to shift a little bit and Mm -hmm. i i haven't found or solidified an answer or a way i feel about this term Mm -hmm. but like how do you feel about because you know you oftentimes yeah you know you describe yourself as that when you when you say you're mixed when you tell people you're mixed yeah um and i've even used that in a lot of my youtube videos Mm -hmm. dealing with being mixed Mm -hmm. so is this like has your perspective on this word or term changed? Has it changed? Yeah. Um, to be honest, no. But I do think that's because I'm part of a, a certain generation that has been taking this term in a more neutral manner. Because mm-hmm. uh, prior, I would say maybe one or two generations before us, um, I think people shied away from the term hunyar mm-hmm. and instead were fighting for the right to be part of the minjo. Um, right. To be more like, I'm just Hangukin, I'm just Korean. Why do you have to define me as Hunyar? So you will find an older generation that does not like the term Hunyar because it was very separating. In fact, after to deal with the Hunyar Munje, the problem of mixed race kids, the government had set up a separate bureau to deal with Hunyar problems, right? Mm-hmm. And people were, who were living here as mixed race were like, why do we need to have a separate bureau? Like, are we not? part of your people and so that bureau eventually was um set away with but it was specifically to do with the term hunyar and this dividing separating factor but what i feel about it now is that it is inevitable wherever i go in korea the question is always like you're not one mm-hmm. of our people right right this is always the question asked to me and so instead of me fighting and saying like yes i am look at me i am you're being judgmental right <laughs> better i usually just say like oh i'm I'm not disagreeing with you, but I'm also not agreeing with you. In fact, I'm Hunyar. I'm both, you know, I'm mixed. And um, people seem to take the term and be like, oh, 
oh, I get it. Okay. Um, and then they decide what to do with that deciding, well, then you're one of our people or to say, oh, so you're a foreigner. Mm. And it's kind of like giving them that choice because I can't fight it with every single person I meet. Right. Because um, it's such a pervasive mindset. If you don't look Korean, you're not Korean. So in using the term honyeol, me, myself, I feel quite like, ah, it's my word. It's what I am. You know, I'm honyeol. And I, I don't find it to be derogatory. But then right. again, I might be part of this generation that grew up using this term in a not so derogatory way. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. it's very similar to uh, the hapa mm-hmm. term. Right, hapa. The difference or, of generations perceiving that term and using that term. Sure. I would say more like hafu. Hafu and daburu, right? Mm. People saying, oh, but I'm actually in doubles. I'm daburu. I don't want to use hafu. Or, yeah, hafu. But it was like what that guy was saying. It's not the word itself. It's what meaning you give to the word. Um, and so I wonder, when you are like, Maybe this term will be phased out eventually as the Korean society becomes more and more mixed. Uh, but regardless, it will take time, you know, and you know, I've shared my thoughts on that personally. I would be sad if every single person was mixed, I think, like mm-hmm. to such an extent that we don't have a strong sense of ethnic identity. But then again, like, who am I to say? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's very complicated and layered. And we'll talk more about this, I think. But do you like to use the word? for yourself um it it really depends i like the way you articulated it Mm -hmm. uh you know i was starting to feel like you know what maybe just by using the word i'm saying that i am different reinforcing Mm -hmm. the idea uh so if i were to describe myself as mixed blood i feel like we can't run away from that you know at the same time i i am different Mm -hmm. i can't deny that Mm -hmm. you know what i mean so it could be just an internal thing to try to be on the same like not level but just be like to find that commonality mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and if i you know if i use that term maybe it gives a distance or a separation it's so weird like it's it's so weird when you're in group settings you notice this uh sometimes when i'm in group settings depending on whom i'm with some person will be like oh wow you know how to drink well you are like a korean right we'll say that right mm-hmm. then the person sitting next to me will be like she is korean and then mm-hmm. he'll be like hastily ah you know of course <laughs> of course i know that right right and it's kind of didn't like that happen I, last night? It happened last night. You were there. Um, and I feel like there's just this constant like clashing yeah. of like trying to recognize like right. what they're seeing and what's actually happening. Right. And they're like, oh, why it's you're a so foreigner funny. who's speaking Korean? Oh, okay. How surprising. But you don't need to say that, right? Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, this we still have a very strong sense of the pure bloodline and what looks Korean versus what is now being Korean with the mixed generation and the rise of multicultural families. Yeah, it's um, it's a curious case and we're living right in the middle of it. This is a very unique time in Korea. And uh, in the past, after the war, we saw that the government, instead of taking the time to tackle these racial problems head on and helping to... Uh, create a culture of acceptance they decided to throw the mixed children away Mm -hmm. now i feel we are living in another very significant time like this and i think the korean government and society has a responsibility to decide how they're going to handle that are we going to have acceptance and growing in a culture where a multicultural society can still be korean or are we still going to pursue the sense of you know one people Mm -hmm. And what's that going to happen to the next generation? So any final words for our people? Uh, I will just say that we are all one human race. Look at you, and so let's diplomatic. just live together in <laughs> harmony and love. Uh-huh. 
Yeah, you're but... gonna be next Miss uh, Miss Miss America. I hope so. That'd be World dope. World peace. Yo, I'm gonna yeah. challenge all the like stereotypes. And, oh yeah. And the definition of these norms that are in place. We okay. Looking forward to that. <laughs> anyway, thanks so much for listening, you guys. Um, if you have any comments or questions concerning this episode, you can either leave it in the comments below. If you're watching this on YouTube, if you're tuning into our podcast, you can always get in touch at emailing us at thehabitproject at gmail. Com. A quick plug for George's Corner. We're going to have a couple messages from George yeah. next week. So you guys look forward to that. George is having a great time tuning in. I hope he's listening to this one as well. And uh, if you want to learn more about George, just listen to some of our previous episodes where we describe who he is. So thanks for tuning in, you guys. Remember to send us a couple messages and hope to see you next week. We are The Happy Project. Your mic is a little bit low. Is that okay? Yeah. I guess you just have a big voice. Yeah. Yeah, I'll just speak loudly yeah. today. Because this stand is sort of... Oh, there it is. Oh, now it's working. Mm-hmm. Good. There Great. we go. That's it's how, a little better. That's how technology works. It's kind of like cats. It does whatever you don't want it to do.